All right, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 11, and we're going to work our way to the end of the, uh, end of the book. If you don't have a Bible or if you're not familiar with the Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and Galatians is found towards the back of the Bible on page 975. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers and the verse numbers are the little numbers. I'll be reading um, the little number 11 all the way to the end, right into the heading, final warning and benediction. So I'll go ahead and pray. We'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then we'll jump right in. This is the word of the Lord. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in order and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we need to hear you speak to us this morning. We know that you speak to us through your word. Will you show mercy and have grace upon us this morning and remove from us fog, a fogginess of brain, a fogginess of heart, a slowness, to believe. Grant to us ears to hear what your Spirit is speaking to us today. Give us eyes that we might see Jesus in a precious and new way that we've never seen Him before. May the beauty and majesty and glory of Jesus Christ be placed before us, and may we see Him, treasure Him, rejoice in Him, and worship Him, giving Him all that He is due. For Jesus' sake we ask, amen. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. And I wonder if you've ever thought about how strange that is. It might help to remind you that a cross is a torture device, an execution device. It was designed to bring disgrace and humiliation It was designed to exact the greatest suffering for the worst person extended over the longest time. And the cross was reserved for the vilest of criminals. And it is a symbol. Indeed, it is the very center of the Christian religion. It wouldn't be a strange symbol for the Christian religion if by it we meant this is what becomes of those who oppose us. You're crucified. But that is not what we mean by the cross. By the cross being a symbol of our religion, we mean that this is what became of our God. 
the only God, of unlimited power and strength. Not the God who would crucify those who rejected Him, but the God who was crucified for those who rejected Him. The God who took our shame and our penalty and our death. That's what we mean by the cross. And it is the central Christian message. By it we mean to describe what God has done and the life that He has called us to. A life of self-sacrifice. A life of laying down ourselves and our resources at His feet for His glory and for the physical and spiritual well-being of others. How strange that an execution device designed for disgrace has become the symbol that God would use to tell the universe about His grace. It's more than strange. It's glorious. And here, in the closing verses of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we are reminded of a principle that's been at work throughout the letter. It is this. That you will never come to the beginning of God in your life until you come to the end of yourself in your life. That you will never take hold of God in your life until you let go of yourself in your life. The self-centered life that we've discussed over and again in this book is tired and empty, wearying and leads to death. The cross-centered life is, on the other hand, Satisfying, joyful, and leads to life. Here's the point of this passage as best as I can tell. The Christian life is entirely cross-centered, bearing the marks of Jesus and of joy and of newness of life. The Christian life is entirely cross-centered, bearing the marks of Jesus and of joy, and of newness of life. In verse 11 to 13, we'll see four features of the self-centered life. And in verses 14 to 16, we'll see four features of the cross-centered life. And then finally, in verses 17 and 18, we'll see a couple of things about carrying the marks of Jesus. So if you're counting... It's a 10-point sermon. You're welcome. (laughs) More than three. This time we're going with 10. Don't want to fall into a rut. Verse 11. Let's read verse 11 to 13 again. Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So Paul wants these last final lines to hit home, and so he snatches the pen from his scribe's hand, and he writes them down in large letters in his own handwriting, sort of like texting in all caps. He wants them to know this is really important. The eternal destiny of souls hangs on what I'm about to say. But my boast is in the cross. Nothing else matters. 
And this is something that we must all understand about the central reality behind the book of Galatians. That the central reality behind all reality is God alone, who for His own glory created all things that exist. And mankind, preferring His own glory, turned from God, committing cosmic treason, and His sin brought death upon Himself. But God, in His grace and mercy, sent Jesus Christ to die in their place on the cross in order to earn right standing with God for sinful man. And so by faith, sinners are united to Christ and granted forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Those who are trusting in Jesus are filled with God's Holy Spirit who gives them a new life with a new heart, new desires to please God and the satisfaction that comes from doing so. God makes them new creatures with new purposes and new joys. And they live this life in happy obedience to God's eternal word, making Christ the center of all they think and do and feel. They live with confident expectation of eternity and a new heavens and a new earth where Christ is all and in all and will be so forever. This is the central truth of Christianity. It is what we call the gospel, the good news of God's grace to hell-deserving sinners like us. And so if you're here with us and you're not a Christian, there's going to be some things that I say this morning that you're just not going to agree with. And I understand that. The only thing I would ask of you today is this, is that after we're done here, you take one of those Bibles from under the chair in front of you, you go to the beginning to the table of contents, find the book that's called Mark, and this week, read the book of Mark. Take one of those little black books from the back of the foyer, it's called What is the Gospel, and read that alongside the Gospel of Mark, and come back here next Sunday, find someone who looks like a regular, and invite them to lunch and ask them to explain it to you more fully. And when you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, He will be merciful to you to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness and grant you eternal life, the joy that you were made to know. Well, as glorious as God's grace is, mankind's love for self-glory his preference for self-rule makes him resistant to freedom, the freedom that is offered to us in the gospel. You see, because in God's story, Jesus is the hero, which makes you and I more like the damsel in distress. But we want a little bit of God's salvation glory for ourselves, and we want to rewrite that story so that we would be the center, that we would be the hero, that we would get the glory and the girl. And it's insulting to us that we're too weak, too sinful to save ourselves, so we clamor for our own glory, make ourselves central in our lives. But, as Paul is showing us here, the self-centered life is an empty life. It is never satisfying. And here in verses 12 to 13, Paul highlights four features of the self-centered life. Let's have a look at the first one in verse 12. The self-centered life is skin deep. It is skin deep. It is focused only on what is external. So Paul writes, 
It is those who would make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. The NIV puts it like this, those who want to make a good impression outwardly. And if you've been with us in this series of Galatians, you remember this letter was written by the Apostle Paul because some false teachers had slipped into some churches in the region of Galatia. And they had convinced some folks that they could have a little bit of God's salvation glory for themselves. I mean, sure, you're a damsel in distress, but you can also save yourself with Jesus' help. Yes, you can believe in Jesus, but also you need to keep the law of Moses. Yes, believe in Jesus, but also get circumcised. The gospel, that's like elementary school. But the law of Moses, that's grad school. That's how you progress. And so Paul writes this letter emphatically saying that if you would add any condition to God's grace, even if it is circumcision, Christ is no advantage. Because if you can save yourself, then Jesus died for no purpose. Anything added to the gospel is a distortion of the gospel. It is not the gospel and therefore cannot and will not save. It is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, all else be damned. The gospel is so frustratingly exclusive of man's glory, and so the self-centered man can't take it. He hates it. Grace cannot be measured. And so there's no metrics. It's an internal thing, which means I can't find anything that I would point to to make me feel that I'm better than you. There's no metrics. And this is what made the false gospel in Galatia so attractive. These false teachers were giving metrics to the Christians in Galatia. Circumcision, it's a metric. It's how you know you're in and others aren't. You want to know if you're in with God? Keep the law of Moses. That's the metric in their day. We have metrics in our day. Self-sufficiency. Independence, how much Bible you know, how many books you've read, your particular brand of theology, metrics. It's anything that you look to in yourself to give you confidence that you're good with God. It is self-centered. It is empty. And because it's empty, you've got to keep putting stuff in so that you know that you're in with God. Secondly, the self-centered life is about self-preservation. So Paul writes that these false teachers wanted the Galatians to be circumcised so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The self-centered life is self-centered after all, and therefore it cannot afford to lose self and must preserve self at all costs. The cross of Jesus Christ was offensive to the Jews in Paul's day, and they have persecuted any who preached the cross of Jesus Christ. 
So why was the cross so offensive in the first century? Well, because again, it removes all the metrics. It shows that all of us are hell-deserving sinners in need of God's grace. Even those who received the covenant sign of circumcision need God's grace. Even those who grew up in the church need God's grace. The cross removes all religious and moral distinctions. And the self-centered man must have distinction or else his whole system collapses. And so, yeah, the message of the cross is catastrophic to self-righteous morality. The self-centered man believes that he can save himself, and so logically it follows he must preserve himself. He must keep himself safe. He's uncertain about his future. He's vulnerable, and therefore he fears risk. Thirdly, the self-centered life is filled with contradictions. And we see this in verse 13. Even those who are circumcised themselves do not keep the law. Now, we've talked about this before in this series, that those who were in Galatia trying to bring the Galatian church under the law in order to be right with God didn't even keep the law themselves. Hypocrisy, contradiction is a feature of the self-centered man. He expects others to do things that he himself will not do. It's in the very nature of conceit, isn't it? I'm in love with myself, and I hate when others are in love with themselves because, well, they're not in love with me. The conceited man is quickest to condemn conceit in others. Self-righteousness hates self-righteousness in everyone except in oneself. Fourth, the self-centered life is enslaved to approval. The self-centered life is enslaved to approval. We see this also in verse 13. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. The self-centered man is so uncertain of his own standing that he must be driven to gather supporters around him so that he can prove himself good. He is a slave to approval and will do almost anything to get approval. He's obsessed with opinions and the esteem of other people. He cannot be without a witness to his own goodness. All of his relationships then become about getting people on his side and showing how good he is. Because if they all believe that he is good, then maybe he is good. And maybe he himself will start believing it. He's got to have his metrics. Well, the trouble is that the self-centered life may make you popular but it cannot deliver God's promises. The goodness that we're looking for, the approval and acceptance we crave comes from God and God alone through the cross of Jesus Christ. The self-centered life is empty and therefore metrics must be manufactured, externals must be curated and massaged, an image must be maintained and it never ends. And it's exhausting. 
and there's a better way. In verses 14 to 16, Paul gives four features of the cross-centered life. And we'll find they're not empty at all. They're deeply satisfying. Let's take a look at verse 14 to 16 again. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Four features of the cross-centered life. The first we see in verse 14, it boasts in the cross. The cross-centered man boasts in the cross. He recognizes that placing himself at the center of his life has made a mess of his life. And logic tells him that he can't simultaneously be the source and the solution to his own problems. When my kids were young, one of them got into Sarah's nail polish, attempting to polish their nails and got it all over their hands and got it all over the table, all over their clothes and their face. And when they saw it on their clothes and on the table, they attempted to use their nail-painted hands to clean up the mess on their clothes and on the table, only making the mess bigger. And it's not just four-year-olds who do this, it's 40-some-year-olds who do this as well. We make a mess of ourselves, and then with our messy selves, try to clean the mess off ourselves, only making a bigger mess of ourselves. Has anyone done this, or is this just my experience? Okay, good to know. The cross-centered man knows the mess that he has made and is willing to admit that he's incapable of fixing himself. An illustration we've used here before is like trying to do brain surgery on yourself. You You can't see back here to get in and mess around. You're going to end up killing yourself. But by God's enabling grace, we look to another the only hands clean enough to clean our mess. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of obedience before God, and His hands are perfectly clean, His vision perfectly pure. Only He is able to remove the dirt off our lives. And so the cross-centered man admits his problems and turns them over to Him. And thus the cross of Jesus Christ is our boast. It is our confidence. How do we know that we are good? Not because we know we're good, but because we know God is good. That's our confidence. And we know that we're good with God. The proof is the cross of Christ. Our confidence isn't in us. It's in Him. Our confidence doesn't come from anything in us. It's not even in our faith. Christian, you are not saved by faith. 
You're saved by grace through faith. Grace that comes from God is what saves. Our only boast, our only confidence is that God the Son climbed the hill of Calvary and suffered in our place for our sin. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's display to the universe about the ineptitude of man and the glory of His grace. It is our boast. And listen, we don't have to fear weakness. We just sang about it. We can lead with weakness. I've said this before, that weakness is not a liability in your life. It's the greatest asset in your life. In your need, God's glory shines the brightest. Your inability is where you will see God most able. So boast in the cross because it shows your weakness and His strength. It shows your shame and His glory. It shows your ugliness and His beauty. So the self-centered man cannot boast in anything but himself, but the cross-centered man boasts in nothing but the cross. Second, the cross-centered man is dead to the world. Paul said that by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. means the natural world has no claim on him. The world's source of confidence is dead to me and me to it. In the world's economy of greatness... You are defined by what you do. It's why we will remember the names of those who get gold medals this month and forget every single name that didn't. But in Christ, you're not defined by what you do, you're defined by what He did. And it's not that the cross-centered man despises the world. It's just that the world has no power over him. He's unconcerned by the world's metrics. Greatness is not human achievement. Greatness is dependence on Christ. Because that's what shows His glory. And that's the true definition of greatness. And so Paul would tell the Philippian church, that if there was anyone who had reason to boast in his flesh, it was him. And even though that he had lots of reasons to boast in his flesh, he considered all of them trash. Nothing mattered. Philippians 3, 8 to 11. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The cross-centered man is a thoroughly Christ-centered man. So the cross-centered man is dead to the world, alive to Christ, unaffected by the world's metrics of greatness and achievement. And you know that makes him more useful 
to the world, not less. He's not afraid of the world's influence, and so he doesn't have to retreat from the world. He can engage culture and transform culture. He himself has been transformed by the gospel. And then he himself can be a force by God's grace to transform the culture. The cross-centered life is a transformed life. Which is the third thing we see in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The cross-centered life is a transformed life. Whereas the self-centered life is focused on the external things, the cross-centered life is focused on the internal things. The Christian life is lived from the inside out. That's why if you're struggling, fighting with all of your might to fight temptation and sin, it will never change if you only focus on the external. It must come from the internal, from a a changed heart. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus taught us in Mark 7? For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Comes from within. A serial liar. His problem is not that he can't tell the truth, it's that he doesn't believe the truth. Sensuality is not a problem with sex drive. It's a problem with the heart. And as you know, murder is committed in the heart long before the pull of any trigger. So the problem of sin cannot be fixed by external means, by behavioral modification. We must go to the heart, and only the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms the heart. And so a life that is fixed on the cross will be fixed by the cross. The gospel creates a new man, a new creation, a new self-image, a new source of confidence, a new perspective on life, a new perspective on the world. The new man focuses on the cross and therefore has a new sense of safety, a new sense of peace. He's free from the metrics. He's free from self-promotion. He's free from self-preservation. He's free to live the life that God made him to live. He's free to be satisfied. Fourthly, the cross-centered life is a life of peace and mercy. We see this in verse 16. And for all who walk by this rule, what rule is that, Paul? It's the rule that came right before it. The circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. New creation, that's what matters. That rule. You walk by that rule, peace and mercy will be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So the cross-centered man is a new creation with a new present and a new future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives him proof of God's mercy, that God's wrath over his life has been satisfied, that the great enemy of his life, death, powered by sin, has been overcome, has been defeated. He's free. 
I just want you to know, dear Christian, that's your life. You are free from having to prove yourself, free from having to save yourself, free from even having to fix yourself. You've been given new desires. Everything you want is Jesus, and Jesus is everything you want, and you have Him and will have Him forever. And so the cross-centered life is a deeply satisfied life. It's a life of peace. Do you want to know what peace is? Peace is, le- is linking the satisfaction of your soul to the sufficiency of your Savior. That's peace. Linking the satisfaction of your soul to the sufficiency of your Savior. That's peace. And the opposite of peace is anxiety. When the satisfaction of your soul is trying to find satisfaction outside of your Savior. You don't have to strive to obtain what you already have in Christ. You lonely, you want friends? Let me introduce you to Jesus who is a closer friend than a brother? Are you weary? Let me introduce you to one who never grows weary. You don't have to labor to be someone. You're in Christ. He's the most someone of all someones. And you're in Him. You don't have to work to be someone. So you can forgive that sister who said or did that terrible thing. You can be overlooked for a promotion and still do your job 100%. You can stay in a loveless marriage and still have joy. You can consider the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of the world. You can joyfully accept the plundering of your property for the sake of Christ. You can refuse release from prison because a better resurrection awaits you. You can sell all that you own and go to the unreached. You can live on less and send those to the unreached. And if any of that seems radical or reckless, can I just tell you? It's because you you have yet to see how truly safe and secure you are in Christ. That's not radical Christianity. That's Christianity. Having been united to Christ, joined to the generations of people who have come before you, the Israel of God, the church across the centuries, who through tremendous difficulty and hardship and setback and victory have known Christ to be enough. 
He can be your satisfaction just as He has been theirs. They were marked by Him through their afflictions, through their joys, through the ups and downs of life. They were marked by Him. And that brings us to our final point. The cross-centered life is a life that has been marked by Jesus. In verses 17 and 18, we'll close out this letter. From now on, Paul writes, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So Paul makes one final appeal to the Galatian church. Let no one cause me trouble and his reasoning, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, I've been marked by Jesus. I belong to Him. What you have heard from me is not my gospel. It's not man's gospel. It's His gospel. So what did Paul mean by the marks of Jesus on his body? Does it mean that he had a cross tattoo? Maybe he did, but that's not likely. Probably it's a reference to the things in which he suffered for the sake of Christ. As a servant of the Lord, you know Paul suffered greatly because of the advance of the gospel. The man was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was flogged. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned, left for dead, hated by many, chased by the enemies of the cross, in danger everywhere he went. Some wondered if Paul's large handwriting in verse 11 is due to injuries that he might have suffered as, a, as being persecuted for Christ. I mean, he was stoned with rocks and left for dead. Paul was a marked man. His body bore the effects of years of gospel ministry. Marks that he wore like jewelry. But Paul's not the only one who's been marked. The church of God, the Israel of God, across the centuries, suffered for the gospel. Rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for the sake of his name. Some in this room have been marked. Many here carry the marks of Jesus Christ on their body. Not physically, perhaps, but in different ways. Some in this church stood for the gospel in a marriage that should have ended in divorce. They stayed because that's what Jesus did. Jesus stayed. You were wounded, and you were healed. And the scar you wear is the mark of Jesus, like a branding of a faithful God to His chosen son or daughter. Some of you took a stand for the gospel and lost family members and friends 
and your heart was ripped apart. And Jesus healed those wounds and left the scars. Some of you have invested years in helping an addict, having things stolen from you, being mistreated, disappointed, and yet you held out gospel hope and you carry the marks of Jesus on your, bar, on your body. And those marks destroy any notion of the therapeutic gospel. That Jesus went to the cross to make me feel good about myself. Jesus did not go to the cross to make me feel better about myself, but He did go to the cross to give me joy. A joy that comes from the trials, not from avoiding them. A joy that comes through the fires of affliction, which tests the genuineness of our faith, which Peter tells us is more precious than gold because it resounds to the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the Lord heals our wounds, He often leaves the scars and the reminders to us of His faithfulness, tokens to His grace, a reminder of the time when He carried us through the worst season of our life. And they are evidence that this gospel is true. Proof written on our skin and on our hearts. A branding that shows we are His. And that will never change. You bear the marks of Jesus' cornerstone. Bear them well. The cross, once a symbol of shame and disgrace, has become, for those marked by Jesus, a symbol of God's glorious grace. But more than a symbol, the very center of our lives. The Christian life is entirely cross-centered, bearing the marks of Jesus and of joy and of newness of life. We thank God for the book of Galatians and pray that He would write its eternal truths on all of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Jesus, the greatest display of your infinite greatness. What is man that you are mindful of him? And what is sinful man that you would send Jesus to die in our place? Father, forgive us for putting anything other than the cross at the center of our lives. We confess to you that we have clamored for our own glory in this story. Yes, we want Jesus, but we want a little of His salvation glory for ourselves. And we thank You, Lord, for exposing this in us this morning. Lord, will You put the cross of Jesus before our eyes this week? And will You break the power of conceit over our hearts? Will You redeem us from self-seeking and self-centeredness? And will You make us who we were meant to be? the new creation Paul told us about? Will you set us free from the addiction to metrics, grading ourselves against each other? Give us hearts that are fixed 
on the cross of Jesus Christ, truly transformed by your Holy Spirit, through whom we can live these lives satisfied, full of joy and delight in the finished work of the cross. Lord, give us a longing for eternity, for Jesus is all in all. We are yours always, for Jesus, all things for him. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, God has given you assurance that you've been pardoned. One of those assurances comes in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 25, where we read, In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory.